0: My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. Um, We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue, we can get to you. It's not a problem. Um, We may take a couple hours to get to you because California is a big state, but we will get to you and help you. And when we do, in fact, come out, we just don't look for ghosts. You know, we're not looking for that. We're looking for natural natural or man-made causes to what might be going on in your particular situation and that's that's how we do it then when we can't explain it any longer then then we start looking towards the paranormal anyhow i want to thank you guys for coming tonight we do have affiliates in nevada washington oregon and hawaii so if you need any help in those states anything like that well wait a minute he's here looks like he's here okay Okay. Well, our guest is here. So let's go ahead and bring him in. Let's see. Uh, Anyway, so if you're watching from Facebook tonight and you like what you see, please, um, uh, please, please hit that like button and that follow button. If you're watching from YouTube and you like what you see, there's a little ghost in the bottom right hand corner. And he, uh, if you click on him, that's our mascot and that will get you to subscribe. We have more than 450 videos sitting over on YouTube. And uh, I think there's a little bit of something for everybody. I'm a journalist. I like to mix it up, right? I like to mix it up a bit. So that's uh, what I do. And so I think you'll find something interesting. It's not all about the ghosts. It's not all about paranormal stuff. There's stuff about spousal abuse and things like that. In fact, I'm going to be covering uh, next week, I believe, we're going to be talking about Alzheimer's. Because I like to look at different things. Anyhow, uh, if you're watching from Twitter or any of those other places, uh, please be free to let me know where you're watching from. I'm looking at the chat room tonight. You know, I can check that out. And uh, yeah, and if, okay, anyway, here we are. And my guest is in. And so we're going to be talking about UFOs tonight. We're going to be talking about UFOs in, I believe, in, in the in the Great Lakes, in the Great Lakes areas. And the thing is with UFOs, you know, there's always solitary witnesses and stuff to this, these things. But with this particular case, there were more than 300 witnesses that, that, that saw stuff, including law enforcement. So, I mean, there's a lot of credence to this particular one. And so I'm really excited to have William Konkolowski on with me and I'm going to bring him in and let him explain it all. He's better than I am. Hello, sir.
1: Hi, can you hear me? Okay.
0: Yeah. So tell me about you, sir.
1: Um, well, I am the state director for the Michigan chapter of the mutual UFO network. Mm-hmm. I've been a member of MUFON since 93 and a state director since 2004, so nearly 19 years in that spot. When I joined MUFON back in 93, um, within months, um, a very large UFO event happened here in Michigan, Mm -hmm. the one uh, that uh, you're referencing and that was featured recently uh, on Unsolved Mysteries. It was March 8, 1994, yeah, on the west side of the state, uh, over 300 witnesses to multiple UFOs for several hours, um, including police witnesses, uh, including radar uh, tracking. So it was quite a big event.
0: It sounds interesting. I don't remember if I saw that on Unsolved Mysteries or not. I'm just curious. I mean, with all the people that saw this thing, um, what, 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 it, it seemed like what, from what I was reading, it was everybody saw the same thing. And that's weird. I mean, it's like a police thing. You know, like, like as journalists, they test that the, the guy runs through the room, right? And then everybody writes down what they see, and it, it sort of never matches. But with this case, everything just jived with, with whatever this object was.
1: Yeah, that's, that's an excellent point. Um, it's not to say that everyone saw the exact same object. Some people saw mm-hmm. uh, disc-shaped uh, lights uh, doing dramatic right. maneuvers. Right. Others saw actual full-on discs with the colored lights around them. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, yeah, in, in the cases, uh, some people saw a mixture, and it was, yeah, it, it was, but you're right, it was fairly consistent, um, and uh, the fact that, you know, there are um, at least 60 people that called 911 um, that there are records of, and uh, the fact that it was tra- tracked on radar, and uh, just, yeah, it was, it was a big, big night here, probably the biggest night we've had since a single night uh, in terms of UFOs here in Michigan.
0: Well, how big was this object that they saw, or or were they able to calculate it?
1: Um, The ones that uh, people were seeing in general, um, the the disc-shaped lights, um, hard to say. Um, I I would probably, by the norm range of something like that, would probably be about 30 feet in diameter. And Mm -hmm. I believe that the, the bigger ones were about 200 feet, something like that.
0: Wow. And how many objects did they see?
1: Um, well, uh, depends on the witness, right? When you have so many witnesses. Mm-hmm. The um, Graves family, who were a big part of that evening, a family of four, parents and their two kids, they had witnessed um, one of the larger disks um, outside their home. This was uh, about 10 o'clock. Uh, they see this thing hovering over the neighbor's house across the street. They call the police. The police show up, uh, Officer Jeff Feldhaus, and he pulls out his binoculars, sees not only the one giant UFO across the street, but mm-hmm. additionally a second one behind it off in the distance. So two of the larger ones were spotted at once. Um, when it comes to the radar returns, mm-hmm. um, the maximum number seen at one time by radar op- operator Jack Bashong. He saw several dozen at once over hovering over Lake Michigan um, later that night.
0: Fantastic. I I just, I just think it's fascinating that so many people saw this thing and were able to see it. About what time, about what time was this?
1: Well, the, the, the calls started coming in fairly early in the evening. Things started to get real interesting about nine o'clock. And that's when the, Many of the uh, objects and lights were seen closer to ground, uh, some of the larger ones that were seen. One of the witnesses, Cindy Pravda, at 9 o'clock saw a string of several lights over the back of her property. And then all of a sudden she realized that it wasn't just one single object, that the lights started moving in different directions. And so that was really scary to her. Um she had a horse out and back that didn't seem to, to be phased by it, but uh it really impressed her.
0: It sounds impressive. And from what I'm reading, it had like rotating lights on it. These, these, these yeah, some of the
1: larger lights. ones, yeah. Yeah, the yes it had, yeah. I remember um, a... go ahead. Go ahead. Oh the um the The correlation between the smaller ones and the larger ones, um, some people say like the smaller ones were scout ships and the larger ones were, um, you know, mother ships, uh, if you will. Um, I probably would have to guess that there was probably even something bigger out there that uh, nobody had seen hovering out in space that probably um, tagged along with the fleet. But that's, you know, that's speculation, you know, because people, when they report things to us, sometimes they'll report Massive, massive size ships. And so um, you know what was seen by the Grace family was large, but probably not um, the biggest on our scale of what people can report.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking um, just the description of the ship. When I was a kid, I live in Sacramento. And when I was a kid, I remember looking out my front door because they would always have the front door propped open. And I saw something like that in the air, and it hovered for a long, 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 long time. You know, I mean, you think of the Goodyear blimp because it has those lights on it, but this definitely wasn't like that. This had lights rotating around it, and it was just hovering there. And I don't know if there were other people that had reported this or what when I was a kid, but I remember pointing it out to my family. You know, because I saw it, but it sounds a lot similar to what I saw. Hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are uh, your standard variety of uh, shapes and Mm -hmm. sizes that are seen by UFOs. Here in Michigan, we get about 200 sightings a year. Um, and the, the sightings that we get tend to fall you know, under the category of lights in the sky that can't be identified or sometimes objects during the day, most of which are too far away to really get a good idea of what shape and size they are. Many of them, uh, most of them that we get in any given year up to 95% are, are things we can identify um, fairly easily. And then we're left with a a few of the more interesting ones. um, And uh, those still tend to fall into the disc or triangle category for the most part.
0: Absolutely. And how long have you been working with MUFON?
1: Um, Again, I started in 93. I got really, I really started to get active. Um, I was still in college at that time. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I really started to get active right after college. Um, and so 97 was the year I uh, was sort of all in. And I, I did field investigation. I was uh, the newsletter editor for the state. I, um, from 2000 to 2004, I was a MUFON.com webmaster. Mm-hmm. And then um, right from 2004 um, and, and up until now, I've been the, the state director. Um, I'm not the longest sitting state director ever. But um, most state directors generally tend to follow a pattern of maybe like four or five years. So I've certainly um, put in my time so far, and uh, I'm still trucking.
0: Are sightings over the Great Lakes region uh, more frequent than other places?
1: Well, you know, we do get a fair, our fair share of sightings. Um, The way it generally works is wherever you have more people, more people see UFOs Mm -hmm. and the UFOs aren't necessarily seen at a particular time of year. They're seen all year at a fairly steady pace. So again, that means we get one to two sightings generally a week in Michigan. Now we're generally, usually in the top 10 of sightings. And uh, when you look at the Michigan uh, list that comes out to the state directors every month, ranking the states and number of sightings, um, California, Texas, Mm -hmm. Florida, always up there. And uh, there are a handful of other states that, you know, get some traffic too, um, but Michigan has been consistently up there as well. Now, to say that um, there's a, a, a tie to the Great Lakes, mm-hmm. since what I said a moment ago is accurate, that wherever there's more people, there's more sightings, mm-hmm. that means most of the sightings in the state are understandably in the Detroit area which is on the southeast part of the state and in West Michigan where um, Grand Rapids is along with the other you know the the cities along there like Grand Haven, Muskegon, Holland yeah they get um, you know they get their share as well up in Traverse City uh, north of there but um, I don't know if I would make a tie directly to the lakes based upon Mm -hmm. where most of the sightings are. Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, I attribute Michigan MUFON to having so many sightings is that we were one of the original chapters back in 1969 um, and other states uh, came on board um, at whatever point afterwards, but we've always had a strong state chapter. I mean, and although MUFON has been around since 1969, I haven't been on this earth since 1969. Um, So it's just, you know, a matter of, the hard work that we've put in up until this point as a chapter in terms of providing visibility and customer service to the witnesses. Uh, Because if you report a UFO sighting to us, somebody gets back to you and it's not just, we're not just a dumping ground for UFO reports. We are UFO investigators. So somebody makes a sighting to us, we get back with them and, and follow up. So, I think a large part of that is because we've been consistently available and consistently very public in our our state chapter to um, put the word out that we're around. Um, That's, that's what I think Um, at the very least, that's what I like to think. And um, I I do believe actually that's the case.
0: What happens when somebody calls MUFON, you know, once during the initial phone call and then you guys talk with them and decide whether or not you're actually going to go out and, check it out or how's that work?
1: Ideally, the way that somebody starts the conversation with us is through our website, by going to MUFON.com, going to our report uh, form and filling it out, hopefully very soon after they've had their initial uh, event. And that way, when the investigator catches up with them, they get all this fresh information from the witness right when they've seen it. And then the investigator will start uh, uh, the conversation back by either an email or a phone call, and then try to work together from both ends to, to piece together what's happened. The way it works is after somebody reports it to MUFON, it gets funneled to the proper state. The chief investigator in that state, um, which is a different title than the state director would I do, uh, chief investigator chooses to either investigate the sighting him or herself or will tap one of the investigators within the state to do the investigation instead. I still do investigations rarely, and um, we have a great team, so um, they're the ones doing that hard work that I have I had done once upon a time, but um, there are certain cases that I, I do step into as well. There was one um, A really good one, actually, I thought, uh, last year in Linden, Michigan. A gentleman who was uh, working late at night, his shift started at 3.30 a.m. And he's driving down uh, Linden Road in Linden, Michigan. And uh, it's normally a very dark road, uh, completely dark. And as he's driving, he sees light up ahead on the left where there typically isn't, where there shouldn't be. And as he's pulling up to it, he looks over and he sees off uh, the road the silver sort of man-sized monolith resting uh, off the road several feet and four white lights are dancing around it. Mm -hmm. And as he's starting to think, should I stop? Should I take a closer look at this? Then a giant teardrop-shaped orange light Uh, shifted onto the road directly behind him, almost like a guard dog, and uh, saying, uh, don't stop, don't slow down, you just keep going. So he did, he kept driving, and when he got to work, um, when his shift ended, it was daytime. And um, as he's driving back down along the road, looks over uh, and sees that where he had spotted the monolith in the lights the previous night, there was now a circular patch of dead grass of about 30 feet around, and so uh, he drives home, he calls, and it's kind of funny that usually when we get a phone call, and again, we prefer that somebody uh, do the, the, uh, the website, But um, he called, and like I said, normally when somebody leaves a message, it's something like, yeah, me and my girlfriend were in the parking lot of the store, and we saw one light, and then this other light showed up, and then they switched places, and we watched it for maybe about 30 seconds, and then one of them went behind a tree, and the other went, et cetera. But his, uh, his phone call was simply, call me. That was his entire message. Call me. And having done this long enough, you get to read the emotion in the voice of the witness. Mm-hmm. And uh, certainly the voice, his voice was, you know, I'm affected, I'm deeply affected by what I saw. And after I, I reached back with him, we went out to the spot where he had seen this. And it was kind of swampy, but Um, We went out there and we took soil samples and sent them on to our lab in Missouri. And when we got the results back, it was determined that the grass was likely killed off by man-made chemicals. Um, Everything that was in the soil um, that was not natural was identifiable. But it makes it all the more interesting then that this thing shows that spot to do this um and that was certainly an unusual one
0: you know there's been a lot of talk about um like a, like a, i went ahead and read the uh the story about the couple that got picked up in the Mojave and there's a lot of talk about these UFO, you know these particular ufos that that are collectors that are trying to get to certain you know certain chemicals and stuff in the ground. Could that be a possibility of what happened with this case? Was that cuz those chemicals were there and maybe that's what it was trying to do?
1: Yeah, they didn't stick around to to tell us. So, yeah, certainly anything yeah. yeah. possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's one theory. Yeah, cuz I mean, it could have landed anywhere, but right. or manifested anywhere, um, mm-hmm. but but it it chose a spot uh, that was already interesting.
0: And you just talked about how this guy seemed really convincing. When you talk to people, how can you tell they're not lying to you?
1: Well, it's a matter of practice, I think, in a large part. Um, you know, there, there are a number of things that uh, I, I hesitate to call them red flags. Mm-hmm. Um, I like yeah. to call them yellow cards. Um, something, you know, that catches your interest uh, but doesn't necessarily disqualify a case right away um if somebody calls or contacts us somebody contacts us and says i saw something unusual i don't know what it is that's mm-hmm. a good start mm-hmm. if somebody contacts us and says a flying saucer came down in my you know my backyard it must have been for outer space i think it was here for me particularly there there are a little tells it and it and, and I am not going to dismiss um, the number of times that something does happen to an individual specifically, but when an individual makes themselves the center of the story and not what they witnessed the center of the story, um, then you know you're working through a filter and um, that filter of that person's ego. And then you have to weigh everything carefully that they say. if that thing was specifically there for them, maybe they have evidence to support it. And there are certainly cases that fall within that category. Mm-hmm. But um, a simple uh, citing and, and how much the person inserts themselves as a hero or heroine of the story um, can can certainly make you wonder. And, um, you know, we do get hoaxes, but they're not that frequent. Usually the worst we get is, is somebody like i said seeing something through uh, an ego filter that colors the story and you have to sort of um figure out how to get through that to the actual data of the sighting and so we get we get some confusion a little confabulation sometimes sometimes but most of the most of what we get is i hear something let me just describe it to you. I can't make heads of tail or head, mm-hmm. you know heads or tails of a you know, help me out and mm-hmm. and, and and that's the, and that's a good one too. And like I said, uh, I think at the beginning here, when I was describing this, you can tell a lot after you've done so many of these uh, interviews with witnesses, after you've had so many conversations, mm-hmm. um something I say, and also is uh, said uh, by a uh, investigator, a uh, general paranormal investigator, John Tenney. Uh, here in Michigan is that two people can tell you the exact same story and you can generally tell which one of them um, is telling you the truth.
0: It kind of reminds me because as a ghost hunter and I've been doing it for a long time it's taken us almost 25 years to get the paperwork right for the question and answers because Mm. one of the first one of the questions we asked is do you watch this stuff on tv? Mm. Because, you know, people will see stuff on TV and then the next thing you know, when you're interviewing them, you know, it's, oh, yeah, this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. And then you start to think, well, that sounds vaguely familiar. Where did you see that? You know, so I, I would think that you guys approach it kind of the same way because, because you're looking not so much looking to call people liars, but you're looking to make sure that they're, that, that they're giving you the full story.
1: Yeah, if you really carefully parse the data, sometimes you can detect trends that are outsized uh, and seem to be based on something somebody's seen. Um, For example, uh, very true in this specific case um, of the March 8th, 1994, um, big sighting, again, hundreds of witnesses. Um, People saw disks. That's what they saw. They saw disk-shaped objects. And we'll get... uh, I say we'll get, I speak in a general term, um, a very specific case in this in this time. Um, somebody said that they had seen something exactly like they saw
0: mm-hmm. on
1: that night on March 8th, 1994, and and then went on to describe a triangle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's different, but they're like, what I saw was just like that. It was a triangle. And it's like, well, a triangle and a circle are kind of different, but... Mm-hmm. You know, I, you saw something in the sky that was anomalous, had lights on it. Okay, I get you. You know, um, maybe just different models of you know from the same source. I don't know, but yeah. So, so stuff like that that can happen sometimes.
0: Absolutely. How many sightings are there? Do you, do you think a year around uh, what, around uh, your area?
1: Uh, again, Michigan has about two hundred sightings a year just in Michigan alone. Um, and I want to think of the number on an annual basis approaches about 10,000 worldwide for MUFON. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I remember the, the most recent estimates, um, I'm not far off if if I if uh, if I'm off by a couple thousand, you know, right? What's... right, right. But, um, the, the sightings that, that come in. Most of what we record is in the United States. Um, We started, MUFON started in America, North America, United States particularly, and branched out from there. Um, Currently 5,000 members plus in 40 plus countries. But other countries have their own homegrown UFO research organizations and don't necessarily um, link up with MUFON. Mm -hmm. But, um, But there are a number of sightings and you know, two takeaways from this, again, is we say somebody does, uh, in a typical year here in Michigan, report, we get 200 sightings overall from all the witnesses. And we can't, we I still I, we are able to identify 95% of them. That leaves 10 really unusual sightings that try as hard as our all-volunteer Army can, they cannot identify. And so that's 10 good sightings a year. And as the late Stanton Friedman used to say, really, all it takes is one to prove the point that something's happening, you know, out of, you know, these thousands that get reported to us every year, you know, all it really takes is one. And then on top of that, you know, all the other ones from the other states and around the world, it, it comes to, you know, a point where there's enough coming through that is unexplainable. But, um, you know, and, and that's what certainly keeps uh, doing, a, being an investigator, interesting. Um, we can, some people think that we're uh, promoters of the yeah. phenomena. Well, you know, um, if we say, you know, out of every, you know, t- 10 sightings, nine and a half of them, um, we, we can identify. It's not, you know, we're doing, we're the, we're the critical ones. We're the mm-hmm. ones people you know that say, oh, you know you you know you're you're credulous or whatever. but mm-hmm. um, I think those are pretty good odds. Um, yep. We have the tools to look into these things um, and be forthcoming about as much as we can. Uh, if we were to um, you know lie, if we were to um, over advertise mediocre cases, people wouldn't listen anymore. People wouldn't care. People wouldn't, uh, you know, we're the world's biggest UFO research group for a reason. Um, you know, we're serious, we're hands-on, and, uh, you know, we mean business.
0: Um, as far as um, sightings and stuff, what what is the more frequent sighting in your area? I mean, are there people being abducted or are you know, more people being abducted, do you think, in your area, or is just seeing stuff in the sky?
1: Uh, the sky, Um you know, when it comes to the contact cases, uh-huh. um, depending uh, on on the case, um, I talk about filters. Somebody could, you know, a shadow person is is a being that comes up sometimes with these contact cases, and if that person reaches a group like Mufan and gets in touch with our experience or resource team, then, um, you know, then there could be some language used that would seem to indicate that this is some sort of extraterrestrial. If somebody comes to you and says they saw a shadow person, UFO is probably not where you're going to go first off. Um, So there are some gray area, excuse the puns, uh, pun here to uh, uh, some of the contact sightings. But um, overall, it's sightings in the sky um, of, of of lights of objects. But uh, we do get we do get our share of the the, the closer contact experiences too, um, and and those are persistent year after year. And um, it's a much smaller number. In fact, that number is generally counted outside of that 200 sightings uh, because. Um, when MUFON came into existence back in 69, um, it was all about collecting sort of checkbox data on objects in the sky. Uh, how high in the sky was it? How fast was it moving? What mm-hmm. color was it? How long did you see it? Et cetera, et cetera. It's little short answers or checkboxes. But when it comes to a contact experience, um, it breaks the mold of the report form. Um, And you get these personal narratives that are often quite lengthy, often very lengthy. And um, those have to be handled in a separate way. So we have a separate team looking into those uh, specifically apart from our standard sightings and uh, trying to keep up as best as possible. Um, Still to this day, uh, after all these years, uh, we've better perfected the report form for a UFO sighting and are are still doing our best with the experiencer community to offer them support.
0: I understand. Very, this is all very interesting to me to see how you guys go about this compared to how we go about, you know, our stuff, you know, looking into the paranormal like this. What got you interested in in working with MUFON?
1: Okay. um, Well, yeah. um, I'm not just the the MUFON president. I'm also a customer as that commercial goes, I guess. But um, yeah, I, I've certainly had my share of sightings and unusual things happening in my life. And that really is really what drives me. I mean, we are an all volunteer organization. So the the work I do directly for MUFON is, you know, my time that I give freely to assist. Um, you know, I have other pursuits that, that are in the phenomena that uh, allow me to be a bit more myself, but here with MUFON, um, the the thing that really got me into it was uh in 89 i was in a car parked in a car my friend's chevette in front of another friend's house there were three of us waiting sitting in a car waiting for another friend of ours to get home from work and while we were parked there in the car um at the height of like say two telephone poles this blue ball of light about the size of a car drifted slowly over the top of our car And then um, when we lost sight of it, um, after it passed over our car, then this white ball of light came and ping ponged it zigzagged all over the entirety of the sky. And then very, very rapidly, we're talking the entire length of the sky, very fast. And then when that disappeared, uh, red light appeared in the middle of the sky, grew to the size of a full moon, which is quite large, and Mm -hmm. then shrank and then disappeared. So uh, we didn't know what to do. One friend said, hey, we are high school seniors. uh, And one friend uh, said, hey, you know, we should tell the police. And we're like, you know, we're high school seniors out. You know, we're going to tell the police we saw a UFO. How is that going to go for us? And so we're like, oh, yeah. And then my other friend says, oh, yeah, we should tell the the local Air National Guard base, Selfridge, um, about this. And I'm like, okay, so we're not going to tell the police, but we're going to tell the military? I don't know what, that. So we didn't tell anybody. Um, turns out a, a friend at work the next day saw something very similar to what we saw. Um, he told his story first. So I knew that I, I wasn't coloring his uh, version of the event. And then, um, so a few years later, as I would tell my story, you know, at parties or whatever, somebody uh, in my college years who was from Chicago said, Hey, you know, we have this place here in Chicago called the Center for UFO Studies. And so I went uh, to Chicago to uh, on a social visit and to stop, uh, do many things, including stop at the Center for UFO Studies. And so I go in and I see this guy, Dr. Mark Rodiger, and I, I'm, I tell him about it. And he's like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, did you tell your state MUFON chapter? I'm like, MUFON, what's that? So that was 93, the year I found out about MUFON. I came back you know, to Michigan, told the state director at the time, Shirley Coyne, and uh, I was really impressed with the uh, response that I got, and I got to share more of the, the unusual things that had happened in my life with her. And, I, yeah, I was fully on board at that time. I'm like, wow, I can actually talk to something, somebody about this thing that's been in my life, and, um, you know, and, and, and is, you know, I'm more than welcome, uh, to, to, to get, you know, hands on with the phenomena. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was like, it, it was a calling for sure. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, ever since nearly 30 years, I've been doing this.
0: I know you talked about that one, that that one with that gentleman earlier, but in, in 30 years you've been doing this, are there any cases that really stick out in your mind?
1: Yeah. Um, Another one uh, that really um, affected me, and in much the same way, somebody calls and you can just hear that tension in their voice. This is going back uh, to 2005, March of 2005. I get a phone call from this guy that says uh, that he had two days of sightings in September of 2004, six months earlier and it's still bothering him so much i could hear the tremble in his voice and he was deeply upset about it and wanted uh uh you know somebody to talk to about it so i went there uh, along with two investigators and he had said that on uh, september 29th he was driving home from work about 10 p.m. uh he lived in highland michigan a fairly rural area and as he's driving down a sort of winding road Tall trees, very dark. At one point, as he's going around one of the turns, he finds himself under, he says, a very large object. A triangle hovering silently in the sky, white lights at the vertices, big red light in the middle. It's completely black, so he can't see the stars through it. So it is a single object making no sound, just hovering there directly over the road. And as uh, he passes under it, he you know he wants no part of it, and he floors it all the way home. And when I asked him, I said, you know, how big was this thing? He said, well, it was about the size of a football stadium, going back to that very large size thing that I, I, I had mentioned uh, just a little bit before. And so it terrified him, rightfully so. You know, you're on your way home from work, and bam, there's this giant thing hovering over the road that shouldn't be there, that shouldn't even exist. Um, and he gets home, um, has trouble sleeping, and during that night, uh, there were several sightings around the Detroit Metro Airport, which actually isn't that far from where he lives, and um, the uh, all, all things being considered. Um, it's not like it's right next to it, but um, in the southeastern part of the state, we'll say. And... <clears throat> The next day, on uh, uh, he gets up um, about three p.m. from a nap because uh, he had trouble sleeping the previous night. Uh, he gets up, sits on his bed, looks out the window, and sees what looks like a car driving across the tops of the trees. And he's like on the edge of his property, and so he takes a closer look at it and sees that there's no wheels under this thing. It's just a, it's like a wedge shape. He described it. And it had three portholes on the side. And it it moved at about the speed of a car, looked almost like a car. And the thing is flying over the tops of the trees, and he watches it until he loses sight of it, sits down, and and his panic attack starts back up again, because this is just crazy. And then once he is able to collect himself, he goes downstairs into his kitchen and sees that it's parked in his backyard now. And so, or one just like it, because he did lose sight of it. And as he's as he's watching it, uh, he realizes that it it's not going anywhere. It's just parked there. It's just staying there. And so I said, you know, all the basic obvious questions. Did you take a picture of it? He's like, no. Um, you know, I didn't want it to think I had I was aiming some sort of weapon at it. Like, mm-hmm. okay did you call anybody? And he's like, no, I didn't want it to think that uh, I was calling in for some military backup or something like that. If it was truly struck stuck and in trouble, then, you know, then, then that could be seen as threatening. So I said, you know, so what did you do? He goes, I watched it. I'm like, for how long? He's like, it was there for about an hour. And he drew a a sketch on a napkin that he shared with me. And he said, he just sat and watched it and um, said in, There were three, through the portholes, he could see that there was a bright red light inside and some sort of dark gas mixing around. And every once in a while, he saw a very slight figure, just almost imperceptibly inside. Mm -hmm. And then after that hour, it uh, sort of cocked up at about a 45 degree angle and then flew out through the trees and, and, and it was gone. And so we brought equipment to try to, record to see if there were any landing um, traces in the backyard. But the only problem was there was a couple feet of snow. Um, it was still snowing in March in Michigan, uh, not unusual at all. And so we couldn't really do anything back there. And so I told the guy I'm like, Hey, you know, um, we can come back and maybe in May in a couple months and, uh, and check it out. Then he's like, Nope. He's like, this is your problem. Now I got it off my chest. It's, it's all on you now. I don't want to ever think about this ever again. And so, yeah, we left without doing anything more. And I, you know, I, I respected his wishes, though several years later, I thought I considered maybe checking back in with him and wanted to see if he still lived at the same address. And uh, I was surprised to find out he had actually passed away due to cancer about eight months after that event. So uh, I that was the last uh, we had spoken with him.
0: Dang. Dang, dang, dang. It's so interesting to me because I, and then the area that I live, I swear when I was little, I saw stuff, but I don't hear a lot about, you know, cases like that. Very seldom do we hear. In fact, recently we had one, it was a bunch of craft in the air and um, because there was an air show, you know, when my friend showed me, I said, well, there's an air show over in that direction. They're probably coming into you know, the plane's. The old planes are coming into land, so you're going to get different, um, you know, light patterns on those planes. You know, and then I remember living over here, and this is where they would repair all the all the military aircraft. So when people started to see the rectangular or the, the triangular ones, my first thought was like the self fighter, or, or the or the or the bomber, you know, because that's what they look like, and they had weird lights on them. But other than that, I mean, I don't know if it's just people don't talk about it, or you just don't hear it, or they're not just not around here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: it'd be interesting. I know as a paranormal investigator, I, I'd be all over that, you know, <laughs> being able to go out and check these things out. What type of equipment, when you say you go out to, into the field to check this stuff out, what type of equipment do you take with you to do this?
1: Um, there are tri-field meters. Uh, you could detect uh, things like, you know, electri- electricity, electricity, magnetism. We have um, radiation detection equipment, um, though, uh, I've never directly encountered a case that got any sort of radiation um, back from it. Um, You know, we have, uh, it's rare to do um, sort of a sky watch at night, but, you know, we do have um, with us some of the um, ability to, um, you know, do the night vision and, you know, it's just, so hard when it comes to this particular phenomenon because the great bulk of things are you know when you do a, a ghost investigation i'm assuming you go into near proximity you know the exact ground zero of where this manifested
0: right, right. so
1: often with ufos you're looking at things way off in the distance Mm-hmm. Um, and it's rare and it does happen that things come closer and we do our best, but, uh, it, you know, there are, are, you know, we'll take a classic one, like, uh, Betty and Barney Hill, the, sure. the magnetism sure. from that, uh, they put a compass on the back of the car and it's spun around. Um, so there are things that certainly affect magnetism, Um, People get burned, unfortunately, in certain circumstances, Uh, extremely rare, but that's still a a thing that happens uh, physically uh, within the phenomena. So there are some physical things that happen and there are some physical things that can be detected. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I'll add uh, to that is a lot of people say, well, if we're seeing so many UFOs out there now, how come nobody's getting a good picture off their cell phone for it? And uh, there's a couple reasons, The uh, couple things I'll have to say about that. One is that, I mean, as good of a cell phone camera is, it is not really high tech um, camera to be able to zoom in and, and actually get a good look at, at what's going on. But I will say that we do get a lot of good pictures in. We do get a lot of good videos in um, taken on cell phones that are reported to us. A challenge to um, showing them on, on like a podcast, like yourself, mm-hmm. is that there are um, as a, a group that investigates and affords a witness uh, confidentiality and anonymity. You know, depending on the situation, uh, we need their explicit permission to be able to share uh, what they've seen publicly, and it's usually on a per-case basis, and. And so that, that can be kind of difficult to bring some of these out, but I will say uh best way to, to take a look at some of these things is to actually join, MUFON, become a field investigator um, and uh, take a look, see yourself uh, internally as an investigator um, at a case that uh, is, is close to you. You know, somebody probably in your state has some good stuff that they can share, mm-hmm. but um, this isn't for public consumption. And you know, uh, going back to that March eighth thing, if you don't mind me, uh, just being on a roll um talking about technology, one of the really crazy things about that March eighth event is not that not just that Jack Bushong caught these unusual objects on his radar, mm-hmm. but when they had sped off um from West Michigan on the land over these cities out over Lake Michigan. He claims that they shot out at a speed he estimates of seventy-two thousand miles an hour, and, and he said that's like from like driving, flying from New York to L.A. in two minutes. So the things after they shot out over Lake Michigan and then started to accumulate more objects around them, and uh, he said that uh, it appeared when he would do a sweep of the radar, it followed the radar. As if it wanted to keep in the line of radar, almost as a message, like, "Hey, we detect your signal. We're sending a message back to you by staying mm-hmm. in sync with your signal." Uh, it, it sounds almost close encounters, though. Uh, so, know, but, but yeah, that, to me, that is just incredibly, incredibly chilling. And when he saw these things on the radar, he described them as being thumbnail-sized, and when you you know, the, the National Weather Service radar isn't built to detect aircraft. It's built to detect radar. So when something is solid on that radar for a substantial amount of time, then um, then it's, it's you know, it, it, you're, you're dealing with something really interesting. And um, for something that large compared to what you normally see, a little pinprick with an airplane, um, mm-hmm. these were very large objects that stayed on there were highly reflective and uh, did some incredible maneuvers that were very controlled like the way he was saying that when one of these um, objects would move on the radar another one would follow it sort of this in a leapfrog style and again it aligned itself so it was pointed directly at the radar so that uh that's just really phenomenal
0: the other question i have for you is Is what do you? I mean, there's people that actually go out to look for these things, but then there's the casual observer who's out camping some night, and they see something in the sky. Should people be aware enough uh, aware of this stuff to to take notes or somehow have a recorder or something so so they can talk about what they're seeing? Um,
1: you know, you'd hope that um, in the case where something happens, uh, that somebody is. Um, paying very close attention and, and you know recording it to the best of their abilities with notes or whatever. But um, a, f- a good friend of mine who passed, uh, Joyce Hagelthorn, um, she would sometimes compare a UFO event to a car crash. It happens really fast. It's really dynamic, and you're just oh you, you're in a stupor observing this thing until later. You're, you're you're like oh wow you know um you know yeah. um you, you know I could have as morbid as it is in the case of a, a car accident you know like oh if I'd only have thought to record that but it happens so quick and you don't think to do that um, nor would it be appropriate in that case so it's not a perfect analogy but it's just something that suddenly grabs your full attention that is completely out of the norm and then you're left stunned afterwards. So, um, you know, it'd be nice to tell people, you know, be ready for the unexpected. But even in the case of investigators, um, one of the uh, sightings that uh, MUFON investigated uh, down, was it Tennessee? Um, This guy was seeing UFOs on a regular basis. And um, when one of the investigators saw a little entity come out of a, I think it was a cornfield. Mm -hmm. They all, (laughs) the four investigators hopped in the pickup and took off out of there. And when they were several miles away, somebody said, wait a second, isn't that what we're here for? Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh yeah. And then they turned around, but by that time they couldn't see anything. So I was always amused at Mm -hmm. that story. They're waiting, They they were camped out there for something to happen and then when something did they fled out there as quickly as possible. I don't blame them. I don't I don't blame them at all, but it's just ironic that.
0: It is kind of funny, yeah. yeah. That's, that's terrific. Um what do you say to people that might have seen something and, and they're, they're they're kind of afraid to come forward?
1: Well, I guess there's reasons to be concerned. Uh, I suppose the biggest reason for concern is that it would drag your name out into the spotlight publicly. Now, if you've seen something and you have an open mind, maybe it was something unusual, or maybe it was an airplane, or maybe some celestial object or weather phenomena, yeah, come to MUFON you know, and report your sighting to us. And um, we will anonymously uh, take your information and should you wish to tell your story publicly, it's your story. You can always do that yourself. But, um, and if we choose to share your story, um, it's with anonymity. Um, and, uh, you know, it's up to you yourself whether you want your name included in, in such a thing. But um, if your concern is, say, um, you know, if you're nervous, like, oh my gosh. The gov- I'm going to be on some sort of government watch list mm-hmm. if I if I make a citing report. I think so many people make citing reports now. I don't think that, uh, I mean, they even if the government wanted to, it really wouldn't have the resources. And, you know, much of the stuff people report just isn't that interesting. I mean, I think if you were going to say that you worked in some sort of federal agency mm-hmm. and you you learned about something you shouldn't, There's reason for concern that your previous employer um, could take umbrage to that. But um, for most sighting reports, yeah, perfectly understandable. If you don't want to be that person at work that saw a UFO, Um, you know, but there are people you can talk to uh, with us Um, and, you know, feel free to share your story to, to whatever extent you feel comfortable um, but, uh, you know, we deeply appreciate the, the more sighting reports we get in, um, the more we can try to develop a bigger picture of what's going on.
0: Why do you think there are uh, places that are hotter for activity than others? Um,
1: not in a long-term way. Um, you know, I can point to... Um, my state um, not with the March 8th, 94 one, which is a single evening. But in uh, the spring of 1966 here, there were hundreds if not thousands of witnesses uh, to uh, very similar types of UFOs that were seen over the west side of the state. And um, depending on whose research you're looking at, it lasted anywhere from several weeks to several months. But uh, but then it sort of dried up, and then mm-hmm. other areas we're we're picking siding waves up, and it, it doesn't ever tend to stay in one place very long. Yeah, you know, there are people you know in Florida that claim hotspots, and mm-hmm. the data they have to present doesn't seem to be really long term, but really good short term um, event You know where it could last. know several weeks or months but um but yeah i I don't know i don't think the the phenomena particularly favors one geographic area creating a hot spot um one of the things that a lot of people use a term is triangle in terms of like locally the great lakes triangle Uh and they say oh yeah the great lakes triangle all sorts of weird stuff happens there it's a hot spot the funny thing is is that I've heard the Great Lakes Triangle described as an area within Lake Michigan, an area within Lake Erie, drawing a giant triangle around all of the Great Lakes. And, you know, this is the Great Lakes Triangle. This is the Great Lakes Triangle. And, and it's just, it's it's really almost arbitrary in terms of you could draw a triangle over, you know, spin the globe, point your finger, draw a triangle. Oh, look, it's a triangle. And then you do a deep dive on all the phenomena found in that specific area that you just randomly selected. And wow, look at this, you know, I'm going to put out a book, you know, this is, you know, the Caribbean triangle, you know, or something like that. You know, not to say that uh, researchers who have selected specific areas haven't done great work documenting um, specific geographic areas, because, you know, that that's of great interest. I'll, I'll point to um, um, Linda Godfrey, um, who recently passed, God bless her. She, uh, did a book called Weird Michigan, which is still found on the shelves of gas stations everywhere in the state. Uh, really tickles me. I, I had a small part um, in, in, in helping with the book. Um, by no means any part of the larger uh, product, but, you know, I, w- I was proud to be part of it. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, you take a geographic area, do a deep dive. The people in that local area or that area that is important to them. You know, find great interest in it, but I think that when you start doing um, geometric shapes on a map, mm-hmm. it's it's not really saying that this area is greater necessarily than any other particular area. So, if there's anybody say in your audience saying like, oh, Skinwalker," um, yeah, um, if if somebody was to take and put yellow tape around a particular uh, subdivision, in whatever city you live close to, and and do a lot of research, I think you you if you got the full um, confession of everyone who had seen anything really strange in that area, you'd be like, oh, okay. So, you know, I'll admit a place like a ranch. It's very easy to document things. Um, you have better visibility and more control over the information, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, I, I think weird stuff happens everywhere all the time. Is is uh, the truth of it?
0: The other thing that people have to remember because the people on the west coast don't get that the Great Lakes are huge. I mean, we're talking. Mm-hmm. You stand on the beach, and it's like standing on on the beach in California. Here, it's like the ocean. They they have their own weather patterns.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're as the lakes are as big as states. The lakes are bigger than some states on the east coast
0: mm-hmm.
1: individually. Yeah. So
0: yeah, yeah, and you're going to so get, yeah. mm-hmm. get different anomalies just like you do with weather patterns. Maybe there might mm-hmm. be some lights caused by lightning way up in the clouds that look strange, you know. But I mean, that's the whole thing is that you know people on the on the west coast and Canada and whatnot do not realize how big these lakes actually are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, what I think is really funny um, is back in 1966 when J. Allen Heine came to investigate the local UFO phenomena. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the birth of the term swamp gas. He said, "Well, maybe people are seeing swamp, you know, gas or marsh gas or whatever." And so, whenever you hear sw- the the government, the military saying, or I mean anyone joking about the term swamp gas, it happened here in Michigan. So I always like to say that we're not only the great lake state, we're the swamp gas state.
0: (laughs) That's funny. So what's next for you, sir?
1: Um, I speak uh, publicly quite a bit. I have five local conferences lined up for next year uh, to speak at. And uh, I I do uh, library talks quite a bit uh, and, and that's always really rewarding. Um, working hard to get the word out, uh, managing the cases. Um ever since that uh episode of Unsolved Mysteries that just appeared, something in the sky that uh, uh premiered on October 18th, a little commercial for it, if you will. Um, we got over 50 sightings um in Michigan. It was a tremendous boost uh of sightings. So yeah, it, it's 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 a lot to run an organization uh this size and stay passionate and get out and and spread the word so yeah i'm as active now as as i've ever been and i don't see me slowing down remotely anytime soon
0: do you think they're getting the word out on these things like 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 a tv show like that is good that 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 helps people come forward
1: Oh, yeah, for sure, 50 sightings um, that that showed up all of a sudden, including more sightings from that particular night, uh, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. Uh, And I will say it depends on the TV show. Um, There are, you know, in any category, you know, ghosts, Bigfoot, UFOs, just to name a, a few. You know, there are those television shows that uh, are on sometimes you you got to cover your eyes and your stomach hurts. You're like, oh, my gosh, this is awful, awful. <laughs> but um, I, I think that the Unsolved Nails, uh, Mysteries nailed it. They just knocked it out of the park um, with their coverage of it. And so I feel good about uh, the, the boost in signings because of that. And certainly, we're going to get a boost from bad television just as <laughs> much as we are good television so in a way any publicity helps get the word out helps to collect cases but uh, you know it is it is rare for there to be good television on this subject and i am so grateful anytime there is and to me this event from march 8th is a big significant historical event and to the, that it would be so ably documented and available is to me it's just I am so proud that uh, that thing actually got out. Because I said, when I started MUFON in '93, this big event happened, and I'm like, "Wow, this kind of stuff's going to happen all the time, isn't it?" And then, not so much. But um, (laughs) you know, we do get regular sightings in, which are are, are really cool. And yeah, you know, if uh, yeah, I tell everybody if if you saw a UFO, please report it to MUFON. If you want to investigate ufos MUFON will train you how to do it and you can investigate ufos yourself and most state chapters um uh many state chapters um i will hesitate uh, by quantifying it as most but many state chapters have local chapter meetings um as michigan does and you can find out more about our our meetings online we've been doing almost exclusively zoom until now, I'm looking to start doing in-person meetings again post COVID. Post COVID, um, but um, yeah, we're still trying to identify a good place for our meetings because the place that we had met for 20 years prior to COVID closed down permanently.
0: It's hard to find. It's hard to find meeting places. I understand mm-hmm. that completely. Well, I want to thank you for coming on, and I apologize for the confusion earlier in the, sh- in the beginning of the show. Who we would have figured that two gentlemen named Bill would be on the same week? <laughs> oh, <sure. laughs> trying to, to sort through that. I thought it was funny when you came on because I thought, you said he was sick. Okay, I can do this. I'm <laughs> feeling
1: good. feeling strong.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I so appreciate it. How can people find you?
1: Um, if you go to the Michigan MUFON website, you could just type in Michigan MUFON or uh, my name. Um, I'm an easy target. Um, okay. Our state website is mimufon.org. Maybe that's the best way, and I'm um, on Facebook. You know, friend me on Facebook, all that good stuff.
0: All right, fair enough. Well, thank you so much. And again, I apologize. Um, it went really well, and I was real. I learned so much tonight. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so very much.
0: All right, you have a good rest of the week, sir. You too. Okay, bye bye. All right, I learned so much about that area and 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 the UFO sightings and, and stuff. I mean, it's crazy. I, I mean, I remember it's kind of, like I said, it's kind of slowed down here, but I remember, because I used to work late hours at night, and be coming home at like 2, 3 in the morning, and that's when I would see the weird stuff. Like, uh, coming home in across across near our tower bridge and looking up and seeing the clouds light up, and then it disappears, like like something shot out the top of them. You know, things like that. So, it's kind of crazy stuff. Tomorrow, we're going to keep the theme going. Uh, Preston Dennett's going to be with us, and he's going to Talk about some really, really unique UFO and alien encounters. So um, be ready for that. Okay? Be ready for that. Anyway, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, be sure to visit the the, the radio uh, YouTube site at W, uh, what's the, YouTube.com Sorry, I'm tired tonight. YouTube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. And that will take you to all our videos over there. Like I said, different topics, different things. Alright? Again, if you're watching from Facebook and you like the show, please hit that like button, hit that follow button. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at gal, all lowercase. You can find us at, at Twitter. <laughs> I'm tired tonight. Uh, you can find us at Twitter under Cal Haunts. And you can find us on TikTok at California Haunts, which is all lowercase. But anyway, I want to thank you all for coming, and I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Everybody should have a great evening, and I know I will. See you tomorrow.